I am really excited for the next few minutes to be speaking with Peter Steinhardt. He is uh, a naturalist and writer. Perhaps you have seen his work uh, in Audubon uh, magazine, also in the New York Times, Harper's Magazine, and and, and so on. And uh, he has uh, a number of books to his credit, including The Company of Wolves, about which I've heard all kinds of, of rave reviews and, and hope to read at some point. Uh, his most recent book, though, is called The Undressed Art, Why We Draw. And so this is, at least in some respects, kind of a departure for Peter Steinhardt. The book is published by Vintage Books and is endlessly fascinating. And Peter Steinhardt, I thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show. Welcome. Glad to be with you. Uh, explain to our listeners what does, at least on the surface, seem to be a, a rather drastic departure from you, from the kind of books which you have written up until now. Well, um, you know, a naturalist is simply someone who's attentive, somebody who's asking what things are and what they are not, and an artist is doing the same thing. Both are ways of engaging personally and deeply with the world. You, know, you look long and hard at things and figure out what you think and feel about them, uh, and uh, it's, a, you know, it's a way of confronting the strangeness of the world and making it comfortable and familiar. Uh, it's a way uh, also of getting your heart and mind to do the same things at the same time. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think uh, what being a naturalist and being an artist have in common is that both of them are uh, ways of seeing. I think if there's a central insight in this book, it is really that drawing is more a way of seeing. It's an act of comprehension more than an act of expression. I, I love how you say at one point, the naturalist and the artist are alike in their watchfulness. Mm-hmm. A naturalist learns to look intently at things, to listen to them, smell them, touch them, to wonder what they are made of, what they do, how they are like or not like each other. And you're saying that is the the heart and soul of what it means uh, to draw. On the other hand, you are writing about something which, as you point out early in the book, has, at least in some respects, uh, declined in importance or, or certainly in, in prominence, that there's a whole lot of places where art is taught and practiced where, where the art of the simple drawing, and especially the life drawing, uh, is, is kind of off the radar screen, uh, at, at least in some respects, and yet in other places and circumstances, drawing is as vibrant as as it ever was help explain uh, or, or help us understand uh the place of drawing in the current scheme of things well, i'm not sure what the place of drawing in the current scheme of things is it's changing but i, I mean it's really quite clear that in the middle of the last century uh with the the sort of revolution of abstract expressionism uh all naturalistic art went out the window and that included drawing and and uh it uh it went out with such violence that uh, even in the art schools were, for a time, not really teaching much drawing. Um, and uh, it has begun to come back really in the last maybe 15 years. Um, meanwhile, drawing has maintained its own simply because it's, it's such a human activity that non-artists, that is non-professional artists, have gone on practicing it all along. Hmm. Um, uh, I, I think we are seeing uh, a kind of rest- a renaissance of drawing, both among amateurs, because uh, I, you know, I, and I think that's because um, we uh, who aren't making a living at, at, at art find this a way of participating in the world, of getting engaged with things in the world in a time when I think it's much more always more difficult to get engaged. Most of the world is privately owned and tuned to. Uh, commercial purpose, and most of the information we need is given to us only after it's been modified by some other party, or often it's given to us in terms of somebody's political or 
commercial interests. And it's harder and harder to things for your, see things for yourself. So, uh, you know, I think what we, we see here is this uh, enor- enormous interest in drawing as a way of getting in touch with your own originality, of seeing things for yourself. And we see that in private uh, drawing groups or uh, drawing groups at local community centers or local art centers. Uh, at the same time, I think in the last 10 or 15 years, we've, uh, there's, there's a lot of indication that we're seeing it return to fine art as well. We're seeing more and more exhibits at, uh, at major museums uh, and at galleries uh, of simply drawings. You also talk about how we are living in a society that values what you call quick and easy successes uh, and, or, or, and, and that, that seems to not value... Um, things which are, are, are subtle or which require s- some time in order to really take them in. And so if, if something like drawing is, is such a pursuit, if it takes time to draw and takes time to, to appreciate it and understand it, then it's probably little wonder that at least a, a certain segment of society doesn't, doesn't have time for this. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think to draw really well is something that, it, that takes a lifetime and, and you... It's a kind of constant re- refrain from the people who practice it uh, m- most proficiently that they they all think they're just learners. Uh, 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 you know, Degas said that that you have to have a high conception not of what you're doing but what you may one day do, and without that, there's no point in working. Uh, I I think most those of us who draw sort of compulsively find that most of what we do goes into the recycling bin. Uh, you know, we, good drawings are. are, are in our sense, is really rare, um, and and uh, we work and work and work and work at it. I think, and, and uh, once you get sort of entrained in it, you you get kind of obsessed by it. I think, uh, and and this doesn't mean that you you can't draw um, with just a little practice. There are uh, you know lots of lots of examples of this where people have gone in and taken a six week course and come out drawing pretty well. You. Uh Talk us uh, through what has been kind of an interesting process for you as a naturalist uh, in terms of, uh, in some ways, stepping away from writing or, or at least finding some frustration that, uh, that the world seems a little bit, uh, or at least for a while, there seemed to be a little less interested in, in knowing about the kinds of things that, that you were most interested in writing about. Tell us a little more about that. Well, that's that certainly that. I, I mean, I, I find it true that I, I, I found it harder and harder to sell stories about uh, environmental issues or natural history, and that's kind of an artifact of what's happened to publishing. I think more than than anything else, it's also an artifact of of uh, the way the, the the politics of environment have lined up. It's, uh, um, currently, it's pretty hard for anybody in the public to get a word in edgewise on any of these questions. Um, and, and certainly that was a lot of the source of my frustration. And, uh, I, you know, I, I suspect that, that one of the things that happened to me is that as I was writing less about these things, I needed to be using my eyes still um, and, and um, uh, found myself drawing a great deal more. Hmm. You really help us, I think, understand how drawing is different from from other aspects of visual art, like painting or sculptures. And, and one of the things that you point out that that seems fairly obvious and yet something that I don't think we uh, often consider is the fact that drawing because it is not easy but relatively simple then is is almost inherently then going to be a little more spontaneous and and a little more personal than uh, 
producing art in, in one of these, let's say, more, more, more laborious and time-consuming fashions? No, I, uh, drawing is an act of discovery. It's a, you know, you're discovering your own feelings. You're discovering the nature of the world. And, and it's, it's never expected to be the definitive word on any subject, never really even expected to be complete. You can leave immense amounts of things out of a drawing and have it make more sense because its understanding is more focused uh, in, in that way. But it's always something personal and provisional, and that separates it from painting, because painting on is likely to translate what you discover in a, a drawing into something more broad or more calculated. And um, you, know, you get into composition, which means putting several different things on the same page. And once you do that, then you have to think about the relationships between those things. And the more objects you put on a page, the more complicated it gets. Uh, so painting is more difficult in that regard. People usually think of painting as more difficult because it involves color, but um, um, I think of it as, as, as being a, a matter of, of taking the insights that you got into drawing and translating them into a broader statement. Hmm. I, it's interesting, too, to me that obviously you, you are so comfortable with words and write beautifully, and so some of what you tell us about drawing and, and helping us understand the experience draws upon images of, of words. And at one point you say that, that, a, that a, a, a quick sketch that someone might make is kind of like an offhand and revealing comment, whereas something like a painting is a little more like a finely crafted oration, which might in some ways not reveal quite as much about the person. Yeah, draw, drawing is a kind of anecdote, and a, and a painting is a kind of an essay. You know, you're having, having to put things together and and uh, you have this chance to be much more offhanded when you're drawing. I think uh, a part of it is that that it because it's so personal, uh, you're engaged at the level of surprise and discovery. You're, you're, you're and, and at the same time, it's playful. It's much more playful than than painting. I, I think because of that, you know, you know, you you have the ability to throw it away. Um, and uh, with a painting, you tend to invest so much more time that 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 you, you don't feel you have the, the luxury of throwing it away. That's, that's certainly one difference. You help us uh, understand how these drawing groups tend to operate. And in particular, although there's something very simple and spontaneous about all of this, you tell us that, that typically these drawing groups operate within certain rules that they create and that, and that it's important that there be some sort of framework there so that, uh, so that the people gathered there uh, can work, I guess, maybe most effectively and, and most safely. Uh, explain that to us. Well, I, there's a lot of ritual to it, I think. I think there's a lot of ritual to anything that, that, that absorbs you as deeply as this. You know, I think with, you know, people who meditate go through a lot of things to uh, uh, sort of place them in the right frame of, frame of mind to launch into meditation. I think with drawing, very much the same thing kinds of happens. The kinds of things happen, or uh, so, so something similar is happening. Um, when you go into these groups, uh, I, I, I suppose I should explain a drawing group is, is usually a group of people who meet, say, once a week to draw a couple of hours, usually from a, a live model. And these things have been cropping up uh, more and more all around the country. I found more than 100 of them in the San Francisco Bay Area when I just started looking, but I have found them all over the world, in Germany and France and Jakarta and Hong Kong. I, you know, I find that almost anywhere I travel I can find a drawing group now. Uh, but these, these, um, 
they all have a certain set set of rituals. I think and some of them are in common, some of them are not. But but you often see people uh, getting there early to race for their favorite position in the room because they feel it makes them draw well. And you see people uh, go through this kind of winding down. As they sharpen their drawing instruments or lay things out on a table in front of them, and then there are certain rules within uh, a drawing session about uh, how the poses come before you. Uh, you. You have long pose groups where there's a single pose for the entire session, or short pose groups where uh, you may start out drawing two, three-minute drawings and then move to five-minute drawings, then move to ten-minute drawings, and then twenty-minute drawings. And, uh, at any rate, you you go through this kind of routine that uh, that that helps you sort of time your responses to things, hmm. and that's one of one of the ri- rules and rituals that I think uh, people get into very much. So you find people who can only go to draw long long pose drawing groups, or people who really want the short poses only, and, and it seems to work for the way that minds work. Very good. Um, one thing which I think is is also a, a, an, an excellent facet of this book is that it, it helps us think about just how fundamental drawing is for human beings. In fact, you say that it, it's about as basic to all human beings as, as uh, walking around on, on two, two feet and, yeah. and, uh, and as much as speech. It's, it's just so much a part of, of all of us and the way we all explore drawing and develop as, as youngsters uh, it it really plays out very similarly for all of us. Yeah. Well, we, uh, uh, one of one of the things that's interesting here, I think, is, is that that we all draw. Um, uh, I mean, we do this also in all cultures. We don't do it the same way in all cultures, but but uh, child psychologists look at this the, the way children draw, and it unfolds identically in all cultures everywhere in the world. That at uh, from two and a half to five years of age, a child draws a circle, and then dots are smaller circles and appear inside that circles and, 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 and rays sprout out from the circumference like the rays of the sunburst. And then the three or four, the little circles and dots diminish to two for eyes and uh, uh, one for a nose and one for a mouth. And the rays diminish to two, four for two for arms and two for legs. And the first pictorial drawing a child does is almost always a human face. Uh, and then all childhood drawing grows out of this simple pattern. A house evolves uh, out of a face with a square and a triangle uh, with eyes for windows and a mouth for a door. Um, and uh, all of us do this, and then all of us, pretty, most of us stop, about nine out of ten of us stop uh, around the ages of nine and ten for, mm. uh, for fairly, fairly good reasons, it, it turns out. One thing you, you point out, which is an, an interesting point uh, early on is uh, at, at one point a, a child as they draw will, will know how to draw but will not be able to really look at a model yeah. and, and draw it on the paper. It's like their own image of what a person looks like or what a bowl of fruit looks like uh, obliterates the model itself and yeah. they, they just can't make that connection that, that we might. Yeah, if you show a six or a seven-year-old a teacup with a handle hidden and ask them to draw it, they'll almost always draw it with the, the handle visible, and uh, uh, they won't look up at the model. And the difference between the way a child draws and the way an adult draws is that a child draws what he knows, and an adult is taught or learns to draw what he sees. Um, and uh, uh, a, a child, uh, I think, does that in part because they don't have the 
the fine motor skills needed to do exact to to translate what they see uh, that way. So they tend to draw in symbols, and uh, uh, and 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 when you draw in symbols, then you're only going to draw what you think hmm. uh, rather, rather than what you see. And, and the real challenge I think of learning to draw is to learn to put that sort of behind you. Um, that that uh, and 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 learn to see more see and and then you're having then to learn to coordinate very disparate parts of your mind in order to put that down on paper and a lot of what l- learning to draw is is just simply repatterning your brain in order to uh, uh, look intelligently at something record it pass it on to another part of your mind come up with the, the strokes that make that image work for you, come up with the, the right pressure on the instrument that you're drawing with, and so on. Hmm. It's a very, very complicated mental activity, and, and that's why one of the reasons why it, it, it becomes a kind of uh, me- almost meditative uh, it's a very, very absorbing activity. Well, and it's interesting. That maybe helps explain also what you point out, that right around age seven or so, the typical child begins to grow uh, frustrated with drawing, begins yeah. to sense that uh, if they don't do it well enough, uh, they're not going to like it or someone else is not going to like it, and this specter of disapproval starts to uh, loom over everything. And that's very interesting to think about because it's drawing's probably not the, the only kind of activity in which that sort of thing happens. But, but how sad when, uh, when people give something up f- for a reason like that. Yeah. Two, two things are going on in children that make them stop drawing. One is that, that parents start looking at their drawings and offering them help, helpful criticism and, and uh, you know, helpful hints. And you know, Almost any child, uh, any seven-year-old who's drawing stick figures probably learned that from an adult who's, trying to, who's given them lessons. Uh, and most of that helpful uh, advice comes as criticism to children, but m- they're suffering that al- already internally. They, what is going on there is that you have visual parts of the brain and you have verbal parts of the brain, and, and they're both legitimate ways of storing and codifying information. But that uh, from about uh, seven, eight, nine years old, the verbal parts of a child's brain are growing at a much rapid, more rapid rate than the visual parts, and, and language takes over as the way that they most of us interpret things. Uh, as I said, about nine out of ten of us rely much more on language than we rely uh, on visual uh, information. And a few of us uh, uh, retain that visual thing. The thing is you can do both. You can, you can, be, you can be quite good at both. You can be quite verbal and quite, ver- quite visual um, and, and switch between those systems. But the visual system is, it is something of a disadvantage in our culture because we're such a ver- verbal culture. So children get frustrated because they simply can't explain visually what they can explain as well in words by about the age of 9 or 10. And that's why most of us stop drawing. Uh, in, in talking about your own experience in exploring drawing as you do, uh, you actually relate to us uh, kind of a neat little image of the refrigerator door and of what your refrigerator in your home was, was covered with for many, many years and how at some point one of your drawings became proudly adorned on the refrigerator door as well. Uh, tell our listeners about that. And yeah, well, I mean, all of us who have children save their drawings and, um, uh, you know, put them up on the wall and, and, and honor their, their, their ambitions and, and, and their, their, their impulses and so on. And, um, you know, I, I guess I got a little of this when I was a kid, but then when I was raising my own kids uh, with 
my wife while she would put their things up on the wall. I didn't think on a whole lot about this, but one day she put one of mine up on the wall. I felt um, I felt terribly honored. She actually put it up on the refrigerator door. It was just a sketch that I had done in a restaurant of a uh, of a flower pot sitting on the table. Um, uh, and and it, it you know it gave me a, st- a strange kind of uh, a sense of affirmation. Uh, I, it, it, one of the odd things about drawing is that you don't often get that sense of affirmation from it. You do it mostly for yourself. People uh, people don't that often admire your work, or you don't show your work. Uh, when you're in high school and you draw cartoons, you show your work all over the place, and it wins you all kinds of prizes. But but. Uh, uh, the kind of drawing that you do now is so provisional and so personal um, uh, that, that it's kind of it's a, it's a conversation you have with yourself or with the other people that you are drawing with. Well, and you point out that for many, many years, uh, drawing was really seen by most major artists as only preparation for painting. Mm-hmm. It was just a tool and, and nothing that you would necessarily uh, preserve or, or show to anybody. And, uh, and, and only gradually over time, or maybe it happened suddenly at some point, uh, the, the idea of, of, of a drawing itself potentially being Im- important and, and, and worth preserving and, and, and looking at, uh, that, that new idea began to emerge. Yeah. Uh, the the, the uh, painters of the Italian Renaissance uh, regarded drawings as the, just the outlines of future work, and they, they, they seldom kept them. And you can find a few finished drawings, for example, from Venice before the 18th century. Uh, and uh, I think there are none of Masaccio's or Caravaggio's drawings surviving, and only you know, a handful of, say, Titians surviving. Um, in the Northern Renaissance, uh, they, they looked upon drawings as more like finished work, and they tended to save more of them. Um, but I don't think it, I think probably one of the people, uh, Vasari started collecting drawings as a, as insight into the great painters, and I think that was one of the things that uh, led people, helped people to see drawings as, uh, as much more finished works, and, and of course today now we, we, uh, we regard them as, I mean, as, as, as important works, and if you have a Picasso drawing, um, you've got something pretty wonderful, mm. even though it's very, very spontaneous and, you know, very off the top of the head. It, uh, sometimes we regard that as higher work than the more contrived issues. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's more psychologically honest. It's, uh, it's fresher. It's, uh, it's, it's more alive. And I've noticed this in, in museums. We don't, we don't get to see drawings in museums a lot because they don't hang paper um, uh, very, very much. But, uh, for example, the Matisse-Picasso exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art a couple of years ago, I noticed that uh, people would walk around these large galleries and sort of stand in front of these huge canvases and, and scratch their heads, and then, then there was a little alcove where there were Matisse and, and Picasso drawings off to the side, and people gravitated to that just that little alcove. It was just jammed the entire time with people looking at those things. They felt a more more intimate kind of connection with them. They understood them better. They, they, uh, they felt a familiarity to it. All of them had drawn. All of them had, had made the kind of mistakes that might be in these drawings and, and could see the brilliance in the drawings as a result. Hmm. Yeah. The, the book is so interesting as you tell us about the experience of others and their drawing and, and, and also your personal story, stories like learning to... Uh, watch your fellow travelers in airport waiting rooms where you could really 
take in their their faces and and try to capture uh, the character behind the 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 the, the, the outer image. That and, and, and so much more in this book really really help us think about drawing in, in, in a whole different way and in a more profound way. I assume that you are still drawing uh, yeah. with the same devotion as you did as you were writing this book. Yeah, maybe even more. I think it, it's something that... that uh, I, it's, you know, I, I would run into people who've been drawing, you know, who were in their 90s, who could recount every drawing group they'd been in since you know, the 1930s. Uh, in these drawing groups, it, it's something that really stays with you. Uh, again, it's a way. It, it's a way of approaching the world, a way of, of uh, understanding the world around you. I think hmm. once you start doing this, you're, you're likely to stay with you. The book again is called "The Undressed Art: Why We Draw," published by Vintage Books. The author Peter Steinhardt. Peter Steinhardt, I thoroughly enjoyed this book, and I wish you the very best with your future drawing and your future writing. Thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. And now, as we've done on a, a couple of different occasions, we're going to follow up on this author interview with, with Peter Steinhardt uh, with an, an interview, with a conversation with uh, someone from the local scene. In this case, someone who has been on the morning show a number of times before, David Holmes, Dr. David Holmes, professor of art at the University of Wisconsin Parkside and chairman of the art department. Uh, and we're going to ask him uh, to give us a little bit of a response to this book, The uh, undressed art. Uh, uh, Professor Holmes has read the book, has also heard a recording of uh, the interview which all of you uh, just heard in part one of the morning show. And uh, we will get a little reaction from him in terms of what is in this book and uh, a little more discussion about the importance of basic life drawing for anyone who wants to be a better artist. First of all, Professor Holmes, we welcome you back to the morning show. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Uh, I understand we're, we're recording this on Wednesday that uh, you're just back from a, a field trip with a number of students down to uh, the Chicago uh, Art Institute. Right. We went down to see the Toulouse-Lautrec show. Profound draftsman, painter, and of course everybody knows about his uh, posters. So it was a great treat. Yeah, very good. I hope that's something I, I, can, uh, I can see. Uh, so you have uh, had a chance to at, at, at least uh, thumb through the undressed art. I'm just curious, as a, as a professor of art, what is your uh, reaction to the book? Did you enjoy it? Well, yes. I, I think it's a very good book. I think it would be a good read for art students because he definitely is seeing it, I think, through the, the eyes of more the naturalist, the scientist. Um, he made me see my own discipline a little bit differently. Uh, I think his take on it was very much from a scientific point of view and he made some very good points in relationship to that how both the artist and the scientist are, are observers but I there were a few places where I, I thought uh, he missed the point on some of uh, the, the the realities of drawing um, from prehistory to today uh, and, and I have different concepts there, but I think he has more of an analytical point of view, uh, more of a, a and shall we say, an objective translation of the given form, where the artist isn't always as obsessed with that, but getting inside the form and uh, letting it l live for its own sake. Picasso said, once form is realized, it's there to live its own life. And Picasso, in his own right, was a marvelous draftsman. Mm. 
In fact, in my opinion, probably Drew Barney painted, but don't quote me, <laughs> as this goes out over the airways. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, points which I thought was interesting in the book was where he talks about drawing being, and this sort of speaks partly to what you're talking about, drawing being among the most spontaneous of artistic expressions. I mean, more so than something like a landscape painting over which one would labor for a long, long time and probably have a a pretty good concept of, of, of what you had in mind going into it, whereas uh, at least often drawing can be something that's much more, in a sense, off the cuff and even impromptu, which gives us kind of a different look into the, into the mind of the, of the uh, artist holding the pen. Well, it's, it's our shorthand. It's how we take notes. Um, I can't see an artist, even if they're the most avant-garde conceptual artist in the world, not drawing. Um, perhaps that is just so intellectualized that it's uh, beyond me to understand how any artist couldn't draw. But uh, I love to draw when I'm, uh, shall we say, in the field, um, out on a, a trip with my wife or whatever. I always carry a sketchbook, love to uh draw the people around me, draw the, the architecture around me when I go to Europe. Um, I love to hang out in pubs and, and uh, you know, draw the humanity and, and get beyond the, the tourist mentality. And it's, uh, I just have to do that. My colleague, Doug Davini, perpetually drawing um, in meetings, just never stops drawing. Uh, you, sometimes you wonder if he's paying attention, but he always is. Um, this is how we pay attention to what is that on the table. Um, so we draw. We, that's, that's our world. One of the uh, points he says is uh, that basic drawing is something that we maybe see a little bit less of in uh, the curriculum of, of art departments at, at various institutions, or, or that at least seems to be his impression uh, in, in talking to you that seems not at all to be the case at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. From the little that you've told me, it sounds as though uh, drawing is uh, a basic staple in the uh, curriculum there and, and something that I think you said nearly all of your art majors, if not all of them, uh, take. Oh, yes. Uh, everybody has to take basic drawing and one other drawing class. Uh, the digital artists have an option between intermediate drawing and life drawing. Uh, all the studio majors, printmaking, painting, sculpture, etc., um, must take three levels, uh, intermediate, basic, and life drawing. And many choose to go beyond that. Um, it's always been true, and I, I would be hard-pressed to find a school that didn't at least have at least one mandated course in drawing. I mean, its history is so long, and the, the, the need to, uh, to, to draw is at the core of what we do that you can, you really need to draw. You really need to think, and the, for the digital artists, I, I think it's so important, and I'm sure that uh, Professor Goldsmith, Professor Chen, um, Rob Miller, our animator, um, would all concur. In fact, for, for Rob and the animation program at Parkside, uh, drawing is everything. I mean, can you see animation without, uh, at least traditional animation, without good drawing? And so he really encourages his students to not just take the three classes, but keep going, especially in life drawing. Um, 
It's an important thing. It was important when I was in school, um, and both uh, undergraduate and graduate. And this was at the peak of abstract expressionism and the beginning of pop art. So it's always been there. What happens in Parkside's basic drawing course? Um, it is a way that we uh, try to hone the uh, hand, to be loyal to the eye, to see. I think it's good motor skill development, uh, to, to break old habits, bad habits, and you say, well, I've never drawn before. Well, you have. Maybe it was mm. when the last time you were 10 years old. But you have. So to reinvent yourself uh, and, and realize what you're seeing and see it as he states it, you know, in a very clinical way to really understand the form, to, to get involved in the form, and to get away with your preconceptions and get into what is really before the eye and uh, have a certain loyalty there. But I, I think we also seek to uh, go beyond that and, and get a little bit more interpretive, especially towards the end of the course. That was an interesting point at a, at a, at a, in another chapter where he describes how people typically develop in terms of their drawing skill as, as youngsters and that for a while um, uh, a child really lacks the ability to draw what really is before them. I mean, like if you put before them a, a, a teacup but there's no handle on it, the handle's been broken off, they'll draw a teacup that has a handle. I mean, they're, they're, they're drawing what's in their head and not what they're seeing and that that very basic skill, which we all take for granted, is something which at one point in our development we don't have. And then at some point, there it is. Well, that's true. I mean, even some of the people in our basic drawing class, they may be drawing a, uh, a cylinder. And they will draw a circle at the top. Even though they're looking at it at such an angle, you can barely see the top. So, I mean, that, 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 it depends when they stop drawing. Um, but that's very true. Children go through all sorts of stages of drawing. Um, but we should never negate that it's always very charming, very, very fresh. Again, to quote Mr. Picasso, obviously I like Picasso. Um, some lady came up to him once and said, Sir, I think you draw like a child. And he turned around and politely said, Madam, I'm not that good yet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's something very charming uh, because the child sees with innocent eyes. And there's a kind of an immediacy. I love going to the the, the Wooster and seeing the the K through high school show. It's just uh, and some of the freshest stuff is the young people's stuff. Yeah, no, I I, I know what you're saying. Uh, in your basic drawing class, um, does it operate as we might guess with everybody gathered around something that everybody is drawing at the same time, or are people drawing whatever they choose to draw? How does how do you t typically conduct this class? Um, oh, no, there's a distinct uh, syllabus. It, it, we all at the, in the department have uh, made certain curricular decisions about what will be taught. We usually start with still lives, and, and uh, there's a number of ways of drawing. Um, I start with contour line, just carefully inscribing the line around the form and try to get them to think about the quality of the line, the emotional quality of the line, and... and um, then I move on to gestural line, more sketchy line, you might say, a more active line. And then we slowly work into tonal work and uh, try to work more towards the finished drawing. As your author says, a lot of drawings get thrown away. Um, 
And certainly, you, if you start holding every one of these as precious, um, you're dead. I mean, if Brett Favre, here's a nice connection for an art professor, you know, starts overly analyzing what he's doing in the, the backfield, and uh, he's going to be on his butt every time. You know, sometimes you have to work from the gut. Well, you're going to get intercepted sometimes, and that certainly happens with us. We uh, end up throwing them away. But that's, that's, that's okay. That's part of uh, that process. Hmm. As your students come through the door, uh, would you say there's a significant number of them that walk through the door um, not fully appreciating just how challenging basic drawing is going to be? I mean, do you have a fair number that walk in um, thinking this is going to be a pretty pretty simple matter? Or is it kind of the opposite? Do you have a fair number coming in really intimidated at, at the uh, prospect of, of, of doing this? Oh, both. I mean, the the basic drawing class is one of our general education classes, so a few people take it, and I'm sure they say, well, this has got to be easy, and uh, go in there and find it incredibly difficult. Uh, so in other words, it's not just art majors, it's sometimes... No, no, it's, it, we'll have uh, probably, uh, there may be even 30% art majors, and the rest will be um, people from biology, psychology, whatever, and... Uh, they're, they're very challenged. Some are very taken by it, and other ones run for the hills. Mm. Um, it's, it's different for each person. Does basic drawing ever involve uses of color, or pretty much is it a basic pen on, I mean, dark ink on, on a white background? I mean, is that, generally speaking, what we're talking about with drawing? Well, basic drawing, I would say, to the most part, it's black on white. Uh, when we get into intermediate drawing or into life drawing, we, we begin to integrate color into it, watercolor washes, uh, colored pencils, prismacolors. So color is certainly an incredibly important element in art, and you can't take it out of any discipline. So certainly it is integrated, but it usually is integrated later in the curriculum. And when we're talking about drawing... Uh, I guess it means, is it the, the, the distinction, is it that you're creating this with something you hold in your fingers? or I, I, I mean, it's not a brush? Is it anything that's not a brush you're drawing? or I mean, what, what makes something a drawing versus a, a, a painting? That's a really good question. Do I have an hour and a half? <laughs> well, and I mean, obviously there's paint in a painting. So, I mean, but I mean, it occurs to me there are a whole lot of different uh, implements one could use with which to draw. And is there a very clear delineation about all of these things over here are drawings because? No, I, after seeing the Lautrec show, uh, he his paintings are marvelous, but if you really want to analyze them and sort of have the debate, well, are they paintings or are they drawings? And uh, his charismatic line um, is in the painted mark. And uh, so I would say you know, he's a draftsman who, who used that skill to make incredibly great paintings. I think if you look at the paintings of Van Gogh and the drawings of Van Gogh, they're really one and the same. Uh, it's the mark that's important. So there is a point where it can become incredibly vague. Uh, a finished painting is obviously a finished painting, but sometimes it can become over-belabored, where a drawing will stay fresher. Um, it, it varies. 
Very good. Uh, before we let you go, is there uh, anything interesting in the uh, art gallery at uh, the University of Wisconsin Parkside you want to tell us about or an upcoming show that we should be uh, watching for? Well, we have a faculty show coming up in, um, in December, and our next show is the Wisconsin Parkside, University of Wisconsin yeah, where do I work? The University of Wisconsin <laughs> Parkside collects where uh, we're showing the work that the university has collected over the last 35-plus years, which should be very interesting. People don't think we have much of an art collection there, but we have a phenomenal art collection, especially in relationship to our uh, national small print show. Wow. Well, that is something that we'll, uh, we'll want to uh, see with our own eyes and maybe even talk about on the morning show. Uh, David Holmes, Professor of Art and Chair of the Art Department at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. We appreciate you joining us today. Best wishes and happy drawing to you and your students. Draw on.